Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Hello, friends. Welcome to the 12,000th episode of the Insurgents Podcast. No, this is episode 101, and I am recording it in the year of our Lord, 2022, in the month of December. And we are continuing, resuming the podcast. The podcast has been on break since December 2021, one full year. And we are resuming it today and then every other week beginning January 2023, God willing, of course. And the inimitable, the ineffable Denzel will be with me again for those episodes. I want to introduce this episode by sharing a few brief words about the book Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, because after all, this podcast is a supplement to that book. The podcast takes some of the themes in the book and expands them. And for some time now, we have been looking at every reference to the kingdom of God in the Gospels in their chronological order. And we will continue to do that until we get to Paul's epistles, and we'll do the same thing, discuss every reference to the kingdom chronologically. And after we have completed that, we'll look at every mention of the kingdom throughout the rest of the New Testament, all the way through the book of Revelation. And so this is a project that I am fully committed to, even to the point of being bullheaded. Now about the book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, there are two things I want to say. First, there are six parts to the book. Part one is entitled Three Different Gospels. Part two Unveiling the King's Beauty, Part 3, The Gospel of the Kingdom, Part 4, Entering and Enjoying the Kingdom, Part 5, Our Glorious Liberty, and Part 6, Advancing the Kingdom. The chapters in every one of those six parts are very short. That's intentional. I wanted to make the book easy to digest, easy to consume, and fully accessible. Now, I have had a few people, not many, but a few people say, I started reading the book and I just couldn't hang with it, so I stopped. Well, let me encourage you. That is a mistake. Because part one, the first part of the book, is geared toward a certain theme. And that theme may not resonate with everybody. Part two does something very different. Part three and four all do something different. Part five and six do something different. I would say that parts three, four, five, and six are the meat of the book. But again, each of those parts does something very, very different. So if a reader stops reading at part one or part two, they are in effect doing themselves a disservice, mainly because the rest of the book has changed many people's lives. Consequently, if you read a part of the book and you get stuck, I would encourage you to move on to the next part and you can always go back to a part that you had skipped over. But the book as a whole 
on the one hand. On the other hand, each part does something different and it will speak to readers in a different way. So again, if a part that you're in does not grab you, move on to the next part. But I assure you, you're going to find something in this book that will get under your skin and even grab you by the throat. You just have to stay with it. And I only say this because this is my signature work. You can find all of the themes of everything else that I've written and spoken before and after in the book Insurgents. The second thing I want to say to you is that there is a website that is listed in the book and that website is a supplement to the book and it has added chapters that we could not fit into the volume. And I would say that some of those chapters are not only interesting but highly valuable. Here are the titles of the supplemental chapters. The Origins of Human Government and Hierarchy. The Radical Cost of the Kingdom. Rethinking Water Baptism. Aware of His Presence. How to Break an Addiction. A Word About Political Elections. The Kingdom, Present and Future. Action Terms for the Kingdom in the Gospels. You Will Not Taste Death. Daniel's 70 Weeks. The Mission of the Insurgents. The Kingdom in the New Testament. Every Reference. And related to that, my vision for a ministry dream team for the insurgents, five ways to spread the insurgents, and answers to questions, Q&A on the book. So those are the supplemental chapters, and you will find them on the website that is inside the book. You will not find that website posted anywhere else. And by the way, I did the exact same thing in my book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, which just released in October, the year of our Lord, 22. And that book also has a supplemental website that contains extra chapters that couldn't fit into the book, as well as audios of messages that I gave to people in ministry in seminars and conferences. The fascinating thing about the kingdom of God is that there are paradoxes associated with it all down the line. For example, the kingdom has already come. Yet at the same time, it is still off in the future. It's already here, but it's yet to come. And we've talked often about that, and there's a lot in the book on that aspect. Another paradox of the kingdom is that it is near, yet it's far away. Time-wise, it's right at the door. And I'm not just talking about what Jesus was preaching. I'm talking about how Paul expected the coming kingdom to invade the planet in his lifetime. Other parts of the New Testament seem to indicate this as well, that the kingdom is right at the door. Yet there are other passages in the New Testament that show the other side, that the kingdom is far away, far off, <laughs> it's going to be a long time until it finally arrives in fullness. So you have another paradox there. Still yet, a third paradox is related to the signs of the kingdom. On the one hand, there are distinct signs that will indicate when the fullness of the kingdom will come, and we are exhorted to look for those signs. We not only have that in the Gospels, but we have it in Paul's letters. On the other hand, the arrival of the fullness of the kingdom is unknowable and unknown. <laughs> the time is not known except to the Father as to when the kingdom will come in all of its glory. Even Jesus our Lord does not know the day nor the hour. The kingdom of God is eschatological. That's a fancy word for the end time. 
meaning it's future. The kingdom is spiritual. It's not a physical realm, so to speak. It's a spiritual realm. The kingdom is political. Now, that doesn't mean it utilizes or leverages the politics of this earth because it doesn't. But it certainly employs the politics of heaven, the politics of Jesus. Jesus is, in fact, the new emperor. He is Lord of the world, and all humans are summoned to give their believing allegiance and loyalty to him. That's political. It's also ecclesiastical. That simply means it has to do with the ecclesia, the body of Christ. The ecclesia, the house of God, cannot be separated from the kingdom of God. The kingdom is God's society. So you have four aspects, eschatological, spiritual, political, and ecclesiastical. And you can find those themes throughout the book Insurgents. Now what you're about to hear in a few minutes is an interview I did in July of this year, 2022, on the Gospel of the Kingdom and the Insurgents. It was published in episode 164 of the Christ is All podcast, but we're going to rebroadcast it in this episode because it's fitting for the relaunch of the Insurgents podcast. And just a word about the Christ is All podcast, which I plan to continue in 2023. We are up to 175 episodes plus. And I would just say that if you're new to the podcast or you have not been with us since the beginning, I'm speaking of the Christ is All podcast, based upon the responses that I continue to receive to this day. At times, some of the episodes rise to the sublime. Other times, it descends into the absurd. We have some unique episodes on that podcast where befuddled callers will call in. And while there are no scabrous rantings, some of the people who have appeared have been pugnacious, raised to the 50th power. But all in all, it's been a lot of fun, and those episodes are particularly comical, at least to those who get that kind of humor. But back to the Insurgents podcast. If this podcast stirs you, and the same goes for the Christ is All podcast, I would ask that you would recommend it to your friends. Enjoy listening to this interview. I will see you in January of 2023. The incomparable, magnificent Denzel will be with me as per usual, which is super dope. The big focus of this season is on uh, roadblocks that come in our life. You know, if you followed God for any length of time, really, you're going to come up against uh, roadblocks or trials or tribulations that you kind of have to weather, sometimes endure. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really wanted the focus of this season to be on discernment roadblocks. So when we make a decision, you know, I, I never wanted it to be that, okay, just because you made a decision that honored God, it's not that your life is going to be easy. And sometimes we just have to endure and seek God through the trials. Uh, and sometimes we make a wrong decision. We have to reverse course, go back to the, you know, where we were, pick a different path. Jesus said, you know, follow the narrow path. Uh, I wanted to kind of just shed light on this and ask all my guests, you know, a time in your life when you had a roadblock come up through discernment process and kind of how you you know, figured out where God was in it and then uh, kind of just endured through it to see maybe a blessing on the other side of it? Well, I guess one comes to mind, and it is related to my book, Insurgents. Uh, I'm an author, so a lot of my life revolves around speaking and, and writing and releasing books, etc. But anyway, in 2017, I held a conference 
in Orlando, Florida, on the gospel of the kingdom. And it was it was remarkable. The Lord really he showed up in ways that I, I could have never imagined. We had spontaneous baptisms where people wanted to be baptized and there was no call for baptism, you know, wow. it was after one of the messages. And uh, so we, we baptized people in the pool there <laughs> uh, at the hotel where we were having the conference. Anyway, I delivered these messages and uh, I was planning to turn the conference into a book and actually make the book a lot more robust. And so I had a vision. I even had in my mind colors of the book. They would be um, the colors of revolution, which is black, Mm. red, and white. I had the whole thing in my head. I felt like the Lord was leading me to write this book and then to get it published. Now, there's two ways you can go as an author. You can self-publish, which I have done, or you can get a, a legitimate publisher to take your book on, put it out there and and market it and so forth. And for this particular book, because it was so close to my heart, I wanted a publisher to take it. I wanted it to get as wide a, a distribution as possible. Well, anyway, when my book agent, we talked about the proposal, we created a book proposal, which is what you do when you're an author and you're shopping for a publisher. Well, when he heard about the book, he really liked it. My, I'm talking about my agent. And so he shopped it around to various publishers, some of which have published my other books. Anyway, what what ended up happening is we kept getting denied one after the other after the other. And so weeks went by, another publisher, you know, a domino fell. No, we're... We're not going to take this book. It doesn't fit into our uh, agenda for this year. Another one said, the book's too controversial. Mm. We can't put this in print. (laughs) Uh, Another one said, we don't like the short chapter format. That was a a deal breaker for me. I I intentionally made this book where each chapter was one or two pages. Mm. um, And I had reasons for that. Uh, So when uh, several of the publishers actually said, we can't publish this in the format it's in, the chapters are too short. And I just said, you know, okay, whatever, because I'm not going to change on that. Well, anyway, the long short of it is seven publishers in a row in time rejected the proposal. And so that was a major roadblock for me, Tim, because I really Mm. felt like this book was inspired. I felt like it was going to turn the sod in many ways in the Christian world. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to publish it. I did not want to self-publish it. Yeah. And so I started to question like, well, you know, maybe, (laughs) maybe I missed, maybe I missed him or maybe I lost my fastball. (laughs) Maybe, Mm. maybe I'm not as good as a writer as I used to be or, (laughs) or thought I was. And so it really created uh, a lot of doubt because it was an obstacle. It was a roadblock. Well, Mm. as time went on, one of the publishers, and this is one of the biggest publishers in the world, Mm. they caused my jaw to go slack because not only did they say, we want this book, they gave an offer of an advance that was bigger than most all of my advances that I've ever had. Wow. And so it was a shocker um, in a good way, (laughs) you know, because I had just been rejected seven times straight. Mm. And then I think it was the next day or that same day, another major publisher came to my agent and said, we want the book too. Mm. And so what ended up happening was what was weeks and weeks and weeks of rejection and complete roadblock 
turned into a bidding war with two publishers fighting each other, trying to get this book. <laughs> <laughs> and so they started raising the at-bats numbers. It was amazing. Wow. I'd never seen anything like it in terms of publishing. Now, you know, I can transfer that to other areas of my life where that sort of thing has happened. Not always, by the way, I, I wish, but it was a, it was a story of rejection and then doubting and then questioning mm. and not really, you know, knowing what was going on and, and really second guessing myself and, and the leading of the Lord. Yeah. And it turned out, it turned out, Tim, that we went with one of the big publishers and the book has just done really well. Mm. A podcast has come out of it that's that's very popular, especially among 20s and 30s and early 40s. Mm. And the message has just revolutionized many Christians. And, mm. and I'm humbled and and honored by it. I still get mail from from the book from people. And it's my signature book, mm. Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that, Frank. And I think it really is a good reminder to all of us about persevering through when God places something on your heart, whether it seems small or insignificant. You know, obedience is what God looks at. God looks at our heart. And if we'll follow through, regardless of the results, a lot of times we look at the results as a significant thing of if we're doing the right thing, but if you're following God, the results are in his hand. You know, just think about when you're witnessing to somebody, right? You're planting the seeds. You're not necessarily needing them to be saved on the spot, but you're being obedient in the moment to show love to someone else and letting the Holy Spirit do the work in the long run of that person's life. So that's a great story that, that you shared. And, and so let's talk a little more about your, your, your book, Insurgents. Tell us a, a little more about the book and then what you would like to see that, you know, uh, where would you like to see, I should say, the American church go over the next 10 years versus where we've been or where we're maybe looks like we're headed. So if you could just maybe explain a little more about the book and then uh, how it relates to the church today. Well, the book is an examination of what Jesus called the gospel of the kingdom. Mm. Not only did Jesus preach the gospel of the kingdom, but before him, John the Baptist preached it. And then following him, you have Philip preaching it in Samaria. You have the other apostles preaching it. And it was the main message of Paul of Tarsus. Mm. This gospel of the kingdom, it is the most powerful, riveting, dramatic message in all the New Testament. There is nothing more explosive than the gospel of the kingdom. And I have found, and this was true in my own life, you know, because I was part of many, many different movements and denominations, ranging from the non-denominational evangelical world to the, you know, the reformed world to the charismatic world mm. to the, the new wave <laughs> world. Yeah, the whole gamut. And I never heard a message on the gospel of the kingdom. Oh. And whenever I did hear it, it was always watered down and diluted, or it was it was kind of extracted from what the Bible actually teaches. It was, you know, some people said, well, that's just for the Jews. Mm. It's not for uh, all of us. And that's just simply not true. So what the book does is it unveils the explosive earth-shaking, revolutionary gospel of the kingdom that Jesus Christ preached, that Paul of Tarsus preached, and it's what caused a riot to break out in every city where he went virtually, <laughs> yeah. because the message is so titanic. And it revolutionized my own life, Tim. And so I wanted to put in a book in as much detail as I could, but to make it a simple read so that a high school student could read it yeah. and be jarred by it. I wanted to put into the book, what is the gospel of the kingdom? Why is it important? How can we lay hold of it? How can we follow it, embrace it, 
and what's the fruit. And so there's six sections in the book. They all do different things. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I said earlier, each chapter is very short. That's intentional because I want people to really digest the message. I am someone as a reader who hates long chapters. Mm -hmm. I despise them. I hate them worse than poison (laughs) because I feel like I'm never going to finish them. You know, Mm -hmm. come on, when's this chapter going to end? Right. I solved this problem by paying it forward to my readers. And each chapter is like two to three pages long. Some are one page. So you can go through it very quickly, but it's an incredibly powerful message if people if people take the time to go through the whole thing because each section of the book does something different. You know, section one might really blow away some people, but not others. Section two may blow their circuitry. Yeah. Uh, section four, you know, re- may really speak deeply to people, etc. So I just encourage people to to read the whole book, and it, it's really been dramatic for most of the folks who have actually read it. Mm. Uh, now, the other question you had was. You know, what do I hope to see? I think if we look at the landscape of Christianity today, to put it in general terms, there are two major dominating gospels that are being preached today. One is the gospel of legalism. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's not, you know, you have to work to be saved. It's more in the Christian world, it's more you have to work to make God happy. Sure. And you're not making him happy. You have to do more. You have to try harder. You're mm. not trying hard enough. And, uh, you know, God's upset with you. And so the gospel of legalism, the fruit of it is it puts people under a pile of guilt. They don't really love the Lord deeply because you can't when you're constantly condemned. That's right. And some Christians are not even in touch with this, that the fact is that, you know, at the end of the day, they don't really feel like the Lord loves them and is pleased with them. And so some of them are addicted to feeling condemned. So they're yeah. attracted to sermons that make them feel bad, mm. <laughs> which yep. Jesus came to free us from condemnation yeah. and guilt. Anyway, so the gospel of legalism, it's destructive. It's everywhere. If you peel back uh, the sermon uh, that's given by most preachers today, based on my experience and observation, it boils down to you're not doing enough. Right. Um, you got to try harder. Okay. So that's that gospel. The other gospel that dominates is the gospel of libertinism. Mm. And this is the opposite end of the spectrum. This is, you know, God is love. God loves everyone. God loves you. He loves me. We're under grace. So it doesn't really matter what we do. Yeah. It doesn't matter how we live our personal lives. You know, hey, we're all going to sin. It's okay. God gets it. And so what you have there is instead of having condemned Christians who are just, you know, struggling with guilt, you have a bunch of Christians who silence their conscience and they're lukewarm mm. yep. <laughs> toward the Lord, and they're they're basically you know wedded to the world and the world system. Yeah, and so there's a, this third gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom, and it transcends both the gospel of legalism and the gospel of libertinism, mm. and it actually blows the soot out of both of them. Mm. And that's the gospel that's being recovered today. I call it the insurgents. This is what um, the book is called. This is what the podcast is called. There is an insurgence happening today. It started Mm -hmm. in the first century. You know, in the Greek, Jesus was crucified as an insurgent. 
He was a revolutionary. That's right. Uh, and so that's what the book does. I'm seeing people, a lot of pastors are reading this and being jarred by it. I'm thankful for that. And so, you know, over the next five, 10 years, I would like to see more and more churches uh, move away from the gospel of legalism and the gospel of libertinism to yeah. this explosive gospel of the kingdom, because that's where the transformation really happens. Yeah, that's really good. And uh, I like how you say that last gospel is motivated not by guilt or condemnation or shame or religious duty or even the fear fear of hell or the hope of heaven, you know, and that made me think, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much of that. Yes, we want heaven, but do you want Jesus? You said it's motivated by the compelling sight of the glorious person of Christ and the irresistible power of his kingdom. And I think that, you know, that when we think about, first of all, why we're a Christian, you know, what, what regardless of how you came in to know Jesus, why are you a Christian today? And I think those two camp, other camps you talked about, allow us the first one, you know, the legalism gives us a sense of control. Like if I follow these laws, if I follow these things, I can control my own path. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the second one with the grace, you know, makes us think that, Hey, this life is great. I get heaven and I get to live however I want. And both of those are missing the, the beauty of grace. And sure, there's like a little bit of truth in each one, mm-hmm. but you know, a lot of times the, the truth of the Bible is down the middle of two extremes I've found. And so, mm-hmm. but really, why are we a Christian today? Um, anything else you'd like to say on, on that focus on your book Insurgents? In the very beginning, I open it up with a section on the beauty of the king. And I think the beginning of this whole gospel is that we truly cannot abandon all and forsake all to follow Jesus unless we really see him, okay? And by that, I mean, I'm not talking about an open-eyed physical vision. I mean, he has revealed himself to us. Our eyes have been opened up to see his beauty and majesty and glory in such a way that it makes all of the things of the world that are seeking to capture our hearts and our attention, it makes them seem uninteresting. Okay, I can tell a person, Jesus wants you to spend time with him. Jesus wants you to obey him. Jesus wants you to follow him. But unless they have actually seen him in a way that just blows their mind, and it just captures their heart, and they fall in love because of that beauty and that glory, that's going to be really hard to do. Sure. It's going to be very hard to obey, to follow, and certainly to forsake all because their eyes haven't been opened to see how glorious and how beautiful he is, you know? So you think of a person falling in love with another, right? Right. It's one thing to say to a young man, you need to love this young girl that you're dating. (laughs) And let's say he's not really attracted to her, (laughs) right? But you have to, you have to care for her. You have to give up things for her. You have to self-sacrifice for her because she's your girlfriend, but he really doesn't, he doesn't really love her and (laughs) because he hasn't seen her, right? Like some other guy that has seen her and boy, he is just blown away. He All he can think about is her because he sees her in a different way. She's so captivating. She's so beautiful. He can't help it. All right. Yep, that's right. Now that is the kind of vision that we as God's people want to have. And most of us don't have that. And the reason is the reason we don't see the Lord like that is not because he isn't beautiful and glorious and majestic. It's because no one has presented Christ to us in that kind of powerful, dramatic, riveting way. Mm. Nobody's pulled back the veil to show us a Lord like that. 
That's right. And so what I have sought to do in my ministry is to reveal to God's people, to show God's people the Christ who has captured my own heart. And uh, I, I put it in a sentence. I, I said, good preachers leave you saying, oh, what a good sermon. Mm. Great preachers leave you saying, wow, what a Christ. No, oh, yeah, that's great. And that is my goal every time I stand up to speak to the Lord's people or if I write a book. And so in the beginning of the book, The Gospel of the Kingdom, Insurgents, I seek to unveil the beauty of the king. And and my my goal there is for readers to say, oh my goodness, I've never seen the Lord like this. Wow. New yeah. love has arisen in my heart for him. Yeah. I want to follow him with everything. And I want to put away all the things that cloud mm. my vision from seeing him. Because you see, if we're wedded to certain things in the world, or we have certain addictions, okay, yep. either physiological addictions or psychological addictions, mm -hmm. those actually close us off from seeing reality and from seeing him the way he really is. And actually have a whole section on how to, how to lay hold of the power of the spirit to break addictions and to forsake the things in the world that are blinding us from seeing Christ. Mm. I do want to move on to your uh, new book, Hang On, Let Go. Hope for those that it might be going through trials. So can you maybe talk about the book a little bit? What I did with that book is I, I tried to excavate my mind and my heart, my soul, in how I was able to navigate every single trial that I have been through and to do it in such a way that I was passing on to anybody who is in a first-class trial those practical things that have helped me get through them. Now, one of the things I've learned, Tim, is that when a person is going through a trial and they're a Christian, typically what they hear from other people all right, is one of several things. One of them is, well, the way to get through this trial, brother or sister, is pray and read your Bible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, pray and read your Bible is great, but guess what? When you're going through hell on earth, you need something more than that. You need something more specific and more practical. Okay. The other one is, well, you know, God works all things out to good. So this is going to work out. Don't worry about it. Well, you know, when you have a loved one in the hospital and they are in a coma, it's easy to say, don't worry about it. But, <laughs> you know, you might see a big part of your life disintegrate. Yep. And so that doesn't really help either. And what I have found, Tim, is that when God's people go through major crisis, I don't mean you lost your keys or your television stopped working or even, you know, your toilets yep. backed up. I mean, you have a girlfriend who said, you know, after three years of dating her and you're in love with her and you want to marry her, I want some space. I don't think this is going to work out. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or you have your mother now has contracted some kind of illness and it's serious and the doctors don't know what it is and she's getting worse and worse and worse. That's one of the things that happened to me. Mm -hmm. Or you've lost your job that you have really enjoyed working at for 20 years. Your skills are such that you really can't get hired anyone else as far as you can see. And now you don't know what to do and the money is dissipating in your bank. I mean, yep. all of these sorts of things, okay? And you can add so many more. When God's people go through them and they just hear sort of the things that I said, you know, the pieces of advice, what many of them do, Tim, is they start looking to other sources mm -hmm. to get practical help. 
because they want practical help. They want help. How can I get through this and not lose my mind? Sure. Not lose my soul, still live and survive this. And many of them are just so gripped with anxiety that they just do not know what to do. They're walking through the Southeast corner of hell and they don't know how to get out of it. Yeah. And so what they will do is they'll look to other sources. They'll look to new age. Yeah. teachings online. They'll look at YouTube videos from non-Christians who you know teach you how to get over some of this stuff. So what I have done in this book is I have given counterintuitive, uncommon wisdom that is rooted in scripture, but that's rarely taught, mm. all right, to help God's people navigate their crisis get through it. And actually at the end of the day, when the smoke clears and the dust settles, they can thank God for it because it caused them to change in some dramatic way. Mm. And that kind of help is not common in our time. And if it was, I would have never written this book Yeah, because I looked for it and I couldn't find it. Yeah. And I think too, you know, people look to God as a way out of trials instead of a way through trials, you know, and a lot of times those Christians, we are called to face trials. I mean, just, I mean, if you look at the Bible, there's no shortage of persecution. There's no shortage of, you know, just look at the book of Acts, right. Of, of people going through crazy, crazy things. And some of that, I mean, most of that was because of their faith, but then just because of our sinful world, we face things that are out of yes. our control, but that doesn't mean Absolutely. that God is not sovereign. That doesn't mean that he is not with us through those things. I mean, just look at the, I mean, the story of footprints is, is kind of cliche at this point, but that is, that is still powerful. I think to this day, uh, when you think about God being with you through those times when we cannot even, uh, lift our head to look up at him. Uh, and so sometimes we need to endure and you talk about abandoning fix it mode, uh, when facing trials, can you uh, expand upon what that means? This is true, especially for men. Okay. And I'm, I'm wired this way, that if there is a problem, whatever it is, I want to fix it. Okay. Yeah, let's get it done. Get it out um, of the way. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's fix it. Let's say that, uh, you know, I'm having a, a problem with my sister, you know, for example, you know, it's over a financial matter and, and I'm making this up, by the way, this is not happening, but, <laughs> but I, and we're not getting along in our relationship is disintegrating. And now it's affecting my mother and it's affecting my father. And it's affecting my wife and it's affecting my sister's husband. And so it's just this big mess. Well, I'm a fix it guy. Mm -hmm. I want to get in there and take control of it and fix it. All right. And this is the impulse of every man when there is a health crisis, when there's a relational crisis, and when there's a financial crisis. And very often what the Lord is teaching us is to abandon very often. It depends on the situation, but he's teaching us to abandon. He wants us to abandon fix it mode. Yeah. He wants us to yield control and to let go. Now, the name of the book is Hang On, Let Go. And so every time there is a situation, a trial, a crisis, uh, you know, so, sometimes it's so bad, it's blood up to the horse's bit. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's ruthless. It's brutal. You're in a living nightmare or a horrible daymare because yeah. it's not just at night. Uh, you can't sleep. Your body's riddled with anxiety. All right. These kind of things. What the Lord is wanting us to do, and I get into this in the book in detail, and I give practical exercises on how to actually do it. There are certain things he wants us to hang on to, but there are other things he wants us to let go of. Mm, that's good. And for guys that are fix-it guys, you know, guys that get in there and they want to take control, and they want to handle it, their biggest challenge is to let go. But see, it is in the letting go. 
that opens the door for God to step in and do what only he does best. Mm. All right. So that's, that's an example, yeah, of of what I'm talking about. And and again, on the other end, there's things we have to tenaciously hang on to. And in the book, I give scriptural examples of this. I go through the lives of various characters in the Bible and I, I shine a, a light on how this seemingly contradictory impulse of hanging on and letting go at the same time actually works out in real life. And then I give a lot of practical help on how God's people can can actually uh, weather the storm through applying some of the principles and some of the exercises. Yeah, I can relate a lot to fix it mode. You know, my wife comes to me at the problem, like, all you got to do is these three steps and we'll be fine, you know, but that's not, you know, in the moment, you know, in our, well, at least my brain, you know, it's like, oh, if we just have to do these three things, we'll be fine. And I think when we go through trials too, we're like, oh no, if I just do this, or if this other person just does this, we'll be fine. Instead of going back to sometimes we just have to endure. Sometimes we can't fix the problem in the moment. We have to go to God. And like you said, let him do his work. Thank you so much, Frank, for coming on. God bless you and your ministry. You as well. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.